people first organizations will win in the future of work. Your only real asset is your people. We, we all, all want, want purpose-driven work. work. HR-led organization is I'm sorry, but leaders don't lead empty desks and empty shop floors. Welcome to the People Strategy Leaders Show. I'm your host, Sri Chalapa, founder and president of Engagedly, and a serial entrepreneur in technology, films, and music. This is where we talk to people leaders, business strategists, and organizational savants about leading in the time of change. What is working, what is not working, and more importantly, what we should be thinking about. Stick around to the end of the show. We will reveal how you can be our next guest. And now, let's engage. Hello, welcome back. This is Sri Chalapa with People Strategy Leaders Podcast. And today I have Amy Madden um, with over 20 years of cumulative experience in human resources and business transformation. Amy specializes in HR strategy development and implementation as well as transformation wide portfolio management, strategic planning and comprehensive solution development. Amy's leadership experiences range from multi-billion dollar global enterprises and mid-sized private equity-backed organizations in which she has held both national and global responsibilities in the space of human resources and business transformation. Well, Amy, thank you so much for taking the time uh, and welcome to the show. And I'm really excited to have a discussion with you because HR is so important these days in this place we are in where it's almost like a seesaw of economy and seesaw of labor market. Um, so with that, you know, I'd like, I'd like to really start off uh, first, you know, how do you see, you know, the role of HR in the overall business strategy? Maybe just start with your sure. your perspective on that. All right. Well, first of all, thank you so much for having me, Shri. I'm super excited to be here and talk with your listeners and most importantly, engage. Um, HR strategy is um, critical in, in really aligning um, uh, results with uh, actions with results. So um, in the changing environment that you've mentioned, it's important to understand that strategic planning is not the type of thing that is a one and done. It's not the type of thing that's once done once and then set for you know a few years kind of a thing. It's, it's, it's not fixed. It needs to be agile. It needs to be revisited. It changed rapidly with both the internal environment within the organization that you're in um, and also the external uh, business environment, which uh, interestingly is constantly affecting the internal business environment. So um, as a result of all of those things, uh, an organization really needs to start with your uh, organizational strategy and from there flow your functional strategies aligned to really execute and deliver upon those expectations for whomever those expectations may be. So um, at a functional level, uh, strategic planning defines the overall roadmap for executing on the choices and the actions that we um, need to take in order to meet those overall strategic goals. And human resources is one of those enabling functions. So we have to have our own strategic plan that folds underneath that organizational strategy in order to be able to, to flow down and keep everybody very focused, um, very streamlined on what those deliverables should be. So can you give me an example of, you know, where you uh, had to play a part of a strategic leader uh, in a given I mean, you don't have to be very specific on the details. Obviously, there's a lot of, uh, you know, uh, confidentiality there. But any example would be helpful so that the audience can understand exactly what you're talking about there. 
Sure, absolutely. So once an organization sets its you know, global strategy or their enterprise-wide strategy, let's say, um, and, and as an HR or people leader, you are contributing at that level to, uh, to identify kind of what are all the enabling functions that need to be in place in order to achieve that strategy. Once that's in place, there then flows what I call the HR roadmap. And the HR roadmap is the way in which we're going to accomplish um, our goals and objectives and really meet and deliver upon those expectations within the strategy. So when, when you take, and this has happened in, in all of my roles for a number of years, and it seems to be just kind of a nice little process to, to start in order to fundamentally root everybody in, uh, align them and root them in the, the common objectives that we're trying to, to accomplish. So when you um, have that uh, opportunity to create that HR roadmap from the strategy, I really um, focus on key pillars in which those packages of work will sit and live, sit, breathe, and develop uh, throughout that, let's say, time frame that uh, the roadmap's in place. I particularly focus those um, pillars in talent acquisition, uh, talent acceleration acquisition, talent management, talent development, and the future of work. And so um, when you think about those key pillars, Shree, specifically, um, how they align to what you're trying to deliver upon as an overall organization. When you think about talent acceleration and um, overall acquisition, you're really thinking through all of the sourcing, the hiring and the onboarding to meet the specific growth objectives um, and projections for the organization. So what's coming in at the top of the funnel? How are you getting them there? How are you moving them through the funnel? And how are you really um, synchronizing that um, cycle time and decreasing the amount of time it takes from really the top of the funnel to the moment at which the, um, the new team members are frankly interacting with the customers, billing revenue, um, and being able to directly contribute to that uh, bottom line growth. When I think about talent management and I work with talent management, that's really um, how talent is managed throughout the entire uh, employee life cycle, employee journey, um, how we are looking at really performance management, how we are setting expectations, how we're calibrating those expectations to the strategic plan, and then how we're holding accountable to those expectations, engaging team members in being able to understand the objectives up front, um, take a very viable and, and integral part in self-performance uh, reviews, self-appraisals, and then moving through that entire performance management cycle, which then feeds into succession planning, um, talent, um, ongoing development plans for high potentials, which then flows into my third pillar, which is talent development. So how are we developing the talent throughout, uh, throughout that year in order to meet the growth projections? So if we're going to go into some very specific markets and we don't necessarily have all of those expertise today in the, the um, population that we have that we're working with, how are we going to get that? Are we going to develop some certain things? Are we going to acquire that expertise? Are we going to do a combination of both? And really having those key objectives and projects that, that align underneath that pillar to deliver upon. Lastly, future of work. You hear a lot about future of work out in right. environment uh, in a whole bunch of different contexts. And, and to me, as I'm building that piece of the, the roadmap to, um, to drive the strategy, it's, you know, what are we going to look like? Um, how are we going to uh, function in a future working environment? What uh, technology is going to be in place to um, drive out waste 
as we are trying to standardize and synthesize processes and process flows in order to achieve very specific outcomes. What kind of AI technology is needed? Will that replace some of the human technology or complement? And how do we do both? So really being able, again, just encircling back to the, the initial point is taking the strategy and then flowing it into the roadmap. Within those pillars are key packages of work that we have to have very strong project management around and most importantly, key key metrics, because if we've identified what are the metrics and the targets that we're supposed to be hitting or that we want to hit to, to be able, again, to drive the organizational growth, we, we're reporting out on those on um, whatever frequency might be expected in that particular organization. Yeah, that's, oh, wow, that's a lot uh, to unpack there. And I think there's a book <laughs> that you probably yeah. have to write about it because I really like the way you structured everything uh, on those four areas. Uh, I probably would have added in one more around employee engagement. Uh, if that's, yes. that's probably another important one as well. So that, uh, we fit that right into talent management. What are okay. we very specifically doing about employee engagement, employee satisfaction? Because that has the direct impact on the uh, customer, the end user. The um, For me, it's been the patient for years. Um, and I, I appreciate the feedback on the structure. I um, have had some amazing mentors and developers over the years that, um, you know, just have imparted some great wisdom in those uh, in making things super simple. You make things complicated. There's no reason to make things complicated. A super simple uh, recipe for the success. Yeah, yeah. So I think what what's interesting about what you just talked about is is when you look at that, the dynamic of where you focus on can shift over time, right? Yeah. Yeah. Because for example, right now, talent acquisition is probably not a high priority. I don't know about your organization, but for a lot of other organizations, talent management and upskilling is probably a higher priority because they're trying to do more with less mm -hmm. uh, or more with whatever they have, I should say, mm -hmm. you know, so that then HR plays a more of an important role, I feel at this point, at least for a lot of organizations, is, you know, now we have, let's say, especially the companies who have let go a lot of people. Now we have 20, 30% less people, uh, right. especially, you know, Salesforce just announced uh, Amazon announced yesterday uh, cutting 18,000 uh, workforce. Um, right. Right. And, and many of them in the support functions, actually, which was surprising. Right. But um, and so now you got to figure out how do you do most more with less? So that requires what you talked about, future of work, enabling technology. So how can we do use technology to enable um, more outcomes without having adding necessarily more uh, headcount uh, and then enabling the people who are already there and then also upskilling the people so they can do a uh, little bit more than what they were doing earlier, not necessarily in terms of more time, but in terms of accomplishing more by using technologies and having better skills to do that in, in a more effective way. Um, mm -hmm. So what are you seeing that in the market today or even within your organization, the role of HR, because it becomes very important. Yes, yes. So um, a lot of questions in there. I'm gonna, um, I'm gonna kind of rewind to the, the first comments around talent acquisition. Um, currently, I'm, uh, leading a, from a people leadership standpoint, an organization in a very high growth mode. So we are aggressively trying to add new talent to uh, meet the business model needs of the organization I'm in today. Um, so that uh, acquiring the right talent and the talent needed at the rate it's needed is always a key priority and having a very clear plan of, of how an organization is going to do that and delivering on that plan. But the second piece is, um, really around the development side. And do we have the skills needed to, uh, to really deliver on those growth objections internally so far? And what are we gonna do about that? 
and uh, finding ways to complement um, those needs with uh, overall uh, learning, learning and development opportunities. So for example, in, um, in the business I'm in today, we have uh, clinical um, employees with certain skills. We're trying to grow our business and encouraging um, and providing them opportunities to grow their skills in the clinical space to be able to actually uh, market themselves more. Because at the end of the day, this is about marketing yourself as an individual and then marketing yourself as a team, right? Internally, mm -hmm. be able to meet the, the, the customer and client needs um, and have the direct impact to the, the end user experience. And so um, as an example in this, um, in one particular example, where um, working with an organization to develop an entirely new operational structure and elevating new leaders for, um, you know, early on in their leadership career, being able to um, to design and develop uh, various uh, key learning modules and deliver those learning modules and be able to measure the effectiveness of the knowledge that's soon been imparted. Um, so in a small organization, you kind of do a bit of everything. You've got to have really strong uh, partners at uh, the executive level and from an operation standpoint, at a, at a C-suite level standpoint, to be able to execute on those plans, because everybody plays a role in that, in that overall employee development. In a larger organization, you're able to pull from various centers of excellence and individuals who own the, that, um, maybe say, learning and development um, in, in its entirety. And so you're, you're um, sharing what you need, and then that, that comes. And again, in the small organization, you're developing it all yourself, which is super fun um, because you're uh, being able to uh, be super fast and agile around uh, developing new content and, and imparting that new content based on the, uh, the growth trajectory for the organization. Yeah. So, you know, that actually brings back to one question that we were talking about earlier, uh, which I think is important one because I I really like to understand this. You said there are some key differences in designing and executing an HR strategy in a global enterprise versus a private equity backed startup. Can you talk a little bit more about how does an HR strategy really differ between these two types of organizations? Sure, absolutely. Uh, when you're working in a, uh, a very large organization, uh, they we typically find more centers of excellence that are very specialized in the space of, let's say, compensation or employee relations or um, uh, service excellence or in uh, overall talent management, talent acquisition. Those are all various um, divisions, departments, segments, kind of whatever you want to call it, that you have to um, truly interlock what you're doing uh, and those particular groups that support an entire organization, uh, they have to be invested in really the mission of the line of business that you're in and understand what are your growth plans, how is what they do impacting the delivery on those growth plans, and how do you interlock the deliverables. So that's in networking with a number of other individuals that you need their end work products, right, to be able to implement into uh, your segment line of business or the service line of business that you're in, and you need it to be successful. But you need uh, the individuals that are developing that um, end content to uh, really be invested in understanding the impact that they're, what they're doing can make 
in the lives of the customers of uh, the service line that you're in. And that requires a lot of navigating around um, various uh, steering sessions and understanding and identifying what are the objectives within the pillars, what is the role that those uh, centers of excellence or um, you know, various types of um, other transversal functions play, uh, and uh, how are we going to measure our success? And then staying on top of that uh, to be able to manage the outcome of that, consistently tying it back to um, the objectives and uh, strategy for that particular service line of business. So there's lots of different players and ways to invest those players in the outcome. And so mm -hmm. there's a lot of that that goes on in, in, in a larger organization. In a smaller organization, you're more typically building from scratch. Uh, you're designing and deploying standards and processes and controls with really less resources um, and um, really trying to, to drive a more professional organization from kind of the point of entry of, of where the organization began to be able to, to really compete um, at uh, a much higher level uh, against other sophisticated organizations and being able to bring the entire organization to that point from an overall talent development standpoint. So um, there's a lot less layers in the smaller organization. You uh, are able to, I find that you can fail fast and then quickly rebuild. Um, while there's definitely uh, the feeling of flying a plane and building the plane everywhere, it's definitely much stronger in my perception in a smaller organization um, yep. uh, because you're, you're able to try anything at any time to, to meet the objectives of your investors. Yeah. Yeah. You know, one question I want to uh, talk about as because I believe HR is a very strategic role um, mm -hmm. and, and a lot of people actually do believe that if, even if they don't act on it, especially a lot of CEOs, Yes. Uh, they look at HR as an afterthought. Uh, and I say that only because if you look at uh, Amazon, for example, or, mm -hmm. or Google, you know, they hired a hundred or in, you know, if you put, put it all together, hundreds of thousands of people in the last year mm -hmm. and a half. Mm -hmm. I think Amazon added like 50 or 60,000 people or some, some ridiculous number like that in the last uh, year, year and a half. And then, then now they're cutting back, you know, almost 18,000 right. 18, people. Google is using the guise of performance rating and some kind of a performance metric to cut a staff as well. Meta is cutting staff. I mean, I'm talking about these tech companies because that's where, that's that's my swim lane. Right. Um, so what, I mean, there, I think there's a lesson here for CEOs, in my opinion, that maybe they should have thought about this and worked with the HR better so they're not in, in the seesaw more where they hired all these people. Now they're letting go all these people. And in a year from now, the economy might be booming again. Right. With inflation being normal, 2 to 3% or whatever it needs to be. Um, and then we start hiring again. So I, I feel like HR is like always being treated as a reactive force in, when, when they do these things rather than a proactive force where they can maybe <laughs> plan better because this affects the morale of the people who are left behind. Absolutely. Right. Absolutely. So how, how, what advice would you give to the CEOs, uh, you know, of, of companies like these Amazons of the world? Right. Well, um, so to me in, in my experience and in, um, kind of what's played out, uh, to date is that 
the um, kind of that chief people leader, that um, executive uh, human capital expert is at the table at the time that the, the organization is consistently um, building and redefining um, and flexing its organizational strategy at whatever level um, the, the organization is and whatever level that, that, that group is at, let's say. Um, but from there, it's being able to look at what's the business gonna look like? What are the growth projections? Uh, from business, you know, from the commercial side and the commercial lens, what what is what are they going to look like in three months, in six months, and so you're constantly evolving around: Are we on target? Are we not on target? And um, if we're not on target, what are we doing to to get on target? Um, so when you um, are working, just in in backing up for a minute, if you think about kind of the cycle of the year, the calendar year, the fiscal year, whatever the year that the organization is on, um, there's the planning that happens well before the start of the year, whatever the start is around, you know, how are we trending with our, our current plan? What are going to, what's, what, what do we need to achieve in these next 12 months and um, building the budget around that. And then identifying the gap of where's the gap in trying to meet that budget. So we're, we're trying to, to increase sales. We're trying to increase productivity to, um, to, to really make people more efficient and more productive and more developed at the same time, um, there's going to be some some level of gap in uh, financial figures around where we are and not meeting those objectives. That's where those functions come in to say, okay, here are various initiatives and programs that we can uh, deploy, design and deploy, uh, depending on if you are creating something from scratch or you're working in an organization that has transversal divisions and segments and centers of excellence. Um, and, and that's what plugs into those holes in the gap, right, to, to really close that gap. And that's where the functional leaders play the role in um, measuring the success of that. What speaks are metrics and data, right? So uh, from an HR standpoint, um, the people leader, whatever level you're at, um, does not wait for a seat at the table, right? People will listen when you bring the data to the table. Um, if, if we're supposed to be in a certain, if we're at point A and we need to be in point B and your people leader needs to design, design the strategy to get us to point B, the only thing that speaks are the results around, did we meet those objectives? Have we onboarded, um, had enough offers that have been accepted? Are we meeting the growth projections? Have we developed the talent? What's happened with those talent? Have we uh, internally promoted that talent? Have we grown from those results? All of those things directly um, impact the um, customer satisfaction. Uh, when we think about um, a customer or a consumer, um, and in, in the cases of, of years that I've been in business, it's truly the patient. Um, what is the impact that what we're doing on a daily basis have on the patient, the patient's family, and the, the caregivers that are providing the service? Just to, to wrap this right around healthcare for one moment, if you'll appease me here, Shri. As a patient or a family member, I'm going in to have a procedure. I'm usually, I'm, I'm a little anxious. I'm stressed. Sometimes I'm, there's, there's a lot of very... Um, uh, emotions swaying from all over the place. And as a just normal run-of-the-mill person, I, I can't assess the equipment that's being used on me or the, um, the physician's educational background or their technical expertise. What I can assess is how I feel and how people are making me feel. And so in providing managed services in that space, it allows us to really craft that feeling, that experience for that end user, their family member, 
um, and, and truly the, the clinicians on staff as well. And so that directly correlates to overall customer satisfaction, client satisfaction, with, which turns right around um, in increasing the, uh, or increasing the growth potential. Does that, does that help a little bit? Yeah, I think it does. But what I was thinking about also is HR being a reactive uh, role that we have seen in many of these companies. A proactive role would say, okay, we'll, if you're gonna hire 20,000 people, let's do a stress test and say, what if your growth projections actually don't come? Exactly. Oh, exactly. Then what does that mean? Are we going to let these twenty thousand people go, or 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 a smaller company might be fifteen people? You know, whatever that right. is. I think those tough questions need to be asked by the HR uh, leader, and not just say yes, let's go and hire fifteen more people or twenty more people, and say that is based on this projection. But what happens if you don't? Let's so do a, let's do a what if scenario. Mm-hmm. Right? Those are the kinds of questions and that dialogue that I'm referring to that's happening at the start of the strategic cycle. Yes. So you're building the strategy and, and uh, the organization saying, we're here and we want to be here and we're going to get there and this is how we're going to do it. And we need to bring on all these people in order to do it. Those are the conversations, the very difficult conversations that the, the human capital leader needs to be having and challenging. It's not um, a warm and fuzzy position. It's having very real and very difficult conversations around, are, are, are you saying we're going to hire all these people? And then if we don't hit the projections, we're just going to eliminate them all. Like what we need to plan through that and proactively yes. have that conversation to say, in order to be here, this is how many people that we're going to need to bring on. When are we going to sense stress test that? When are we going to sense check it? When are we going to determine if we're on track? Like those are all the different checkpoints and milestones that happen along the way to determine if you're on track, if you're off track, if you need to slow down, speed up, uh, um, uh, combine that with uh, additional expertise that maybe you don't have today, infuse the expertise into the internal employees that you have today. So it's it's all of those things that are happening at the start of that cycle conversation and continue at all different types of checkpoints and milestones throughout your um, fiscal or calendar year. But they're the very challenging conversations to have, Sri, just like you said. Yeah, yeah. And I, I don't think a lot of HR people actually do that in my, no. from what uh, I've seen. It's um, it's it's a, a very direct approach, um, and you know it's uh, it's a they're having the hard, crucial conversations with um, while managing up. I mean, and, and oftentimes you're uh, if you're not at a C level, um, you're managing up to the C level, right? And you're managing and calibrating expectations and having those difficult conversations. If you're you know at that level, you're managing up to your investors and helping to. Um, uh, really, un- and your owners, and really understand where we are, where we're trying to be, and what that means as it actually physically evolves into a tactical plan. Yeah, yeah. No, I'm, I'm glad we had this conversation because, Amy, you're one of, I think, a few who are actually doing this effectively uh, in your organization and in, in your career. So I hope other people can take cue from that and uh, play a more strategic role because it is. these are important questions to have because it ultimately does it is for the organization. It's not just for their role, but it's for the organization. Right. And I, um, you know, I appreciate the feedback. I know there's human capital leaders that um, are uh, having those difficult conversations, Sri. And, and sometimes it's, um, you know, there's things that override those. Um, yeah. But, uh, you know, I've, I've, I've 
that's just naturally who I am. Um, it's not always well received, but I have to um, understand that that's not what I'm there for. So um, I'm there to reach an end goal with the organ for the organization, um, and you know that just plays into it. Yeah, yeah. Well, thanks a lot, Amy. This has been a very insightful conversation. Uh, I, I wish we could continue the discussions because there's so more, so many more topics we can talk about. Um, but I, I think we'll have, we'll wrap it up here. But I have one other thing to ask you. You know, how there's a lot of wisdom and you know knowledge that you have. So, how can people reach you and learn more about what you're doing and and learn more about your overall approach and philosophy as well? Yes. Uh, well, I'm on LinkedIn. Uh, and you, anybody can can find me there. I've, I've just recently started working with some other organizations and, and um, sharing some um, just guidance and a, a advisor um, in, um, information as well. That's, you know, I'm super excited about that. Um, I love working with individuals and brainstorming with other uh, thought leaders around, hey, um, this is working, this isn't working, how do we kind of navigate through something like this together, what kind of best practices do you have, and interestingly, in a larger organization, there's a lot of people that um, build your net, you know, fill your network internally with other um experts in their spaces that you can collaborate on um, and really connect on. In a small organization, there's not. Um, you know, you're really, really trying to grow it externally with, um, with other thought leaders because there's just fewer resources. So I love to brainstorm um, you know, different things that are working, aren't working. Um, I by no means have all no means have all the answers, and I love to learn to try things differently um, to reach an end goal. And so, um, what's working for someone may be a really great thing I've not thought of and want to try and incorporate in, in something I might be working on today. So, um, I would love to connect. Uh, you can just find me at Amy Madden on uh, on LinkedIn, and um, I really I really encourage that because um, I really do enjoy just the the brainstorming and the challenging, thought provoking questions to really look at um, a situation from a whole bunch of different angles and figure out how can we how can we pull this apart and rebuild it to be as successful as possible. Great. Well, thanks a lot, Amy. It's been a pleasure. Awesome. Well, thank you, Shri. I've had a great time and um, really have enjoyed speaking with you and your listeners today. So thank you. Absolutely. Absolutely. Thank you. Until next time. Shri Chalapa here. Thank you so much for listening to the People Strategy Leaders podcast. If you are a successful leader or a people strategist who would like to be on this program, please visit engagedly.com slash people strategy leaders podcast. If you got something out of this interview, would you share this episode on social media? If you know someone that would be a great guest, tag them on social media to let them know about the show and include the hashtag PeopleStrategyLeaders. I love seeing your posts and guest suggestions. We are regularly putting out new episodes and content. To make sure you don't miss any episodes, go ahead and subscribe. Your thumbs up, ratings and reviews go a long way to help promote the show and mean a lot to me and my team. Want to know more? Follow me on LinkedIn and Twitter at Sri Chalapa. Thanks for listening. We will see you next time. And thank you to Patrick Ramsey, sound engineer at Kalinga Production Studios, for recording and mixing this show.